Hey everybody, welcome back to E-Crime Bites. This is Jay Nicholas Bryant, the boasting fraudster. Oh boy, the tornado of fraud. We've taken you through four acts. Our first act was his a good little snippet of his crime. The second act was him pleading guilty and telling us more about his crime. And then our third act was, believe it or not, Bryant talking to the media after he pled guilty, but before he was sentenced. Then our fourth act was going through the sentencing hearing, which was what was the defense's arguments and what was the government's arguments to or against either for or against him getting a long sentence or a short sentence in prison. And we're finally now to the concluding act, act five, which is sentencing. And this is the judge weighing all the evidence coming back. The judge in this case has got some shit to say and y'all better fucking listen. Okay. The judge says, all right, thank you, sir. I appreciate everything you've done. He's talking you know, to the attorneys and specifically Mr. Bryant, who just stood up and said, Hey, I'm really sorry for my crimes. Now we've read a lot of stuff where he said he wasn't, he was pretty happy during his crime. So it depends on which side of the coin you look at, but the court, the judge is saying, all right, I appreciate the statement of you saying that you're remorseful for your crimes. I wish I could believe everything you just said. It's very hard for me to do so. You have the right to talk to whoever you want to talk to, but it's my obligation to determine whether you have clearly demonstrated acceptance of responsibility. And that statement that you just read falls well short of mitigating your actual conduct. The judge continues on. You would think, oh my God, he just put the hammer down on him. Judge keeps going. There's no doubt he wants to profit from this crime. There's no doubt there that he is proud of these crimes. He laughed at the idea of them on the calls. And he's referring to these jailhouse calls that are re recorded and everybody knows they're recorded. The judge is referring to them. The person he is talking with noted that there was a commenter who said, and I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, he got me for $8,000. I'm still waiting to get paid back for my $8,000. But they had a collective laugh about that. That response to a victim is hard to understand and I can't ignore. As a defendant, you're probably like, fuck. Yeah, it's not good. He goes on. He goes on. The judge goes on to say, I hope you prove me wrong. I hope that's the case. But what's before me right now, you have not clearly demonstrated responsibility or acceptance of responsibility. And so for those reasons, I'm going to remove it. And what he means by that as a judge, he removes the leniency that he would give him in his sentence if he were to demonstrate responsibility. So he just took that off the table legally from Brian. So Brian's sentence just went up if he didn't catch that. So apparently his advisory range is somewhere between 87 and 108 months, which is a lot. I kept talking about how COVID was around and it really, it made his fraud hurt even more to a lot of companies like aviation that didn't have a lot of business at the time. So the court notes that in the sentencing and says, when I say the court, I mean the judge. And they say, didn't one of the aviation companies also say, in effect, we were so glad to get a giant, you know, contract for private flight because COVID had stopped everything. 
And now we're going to get an influx of, you know, say $50,000 or whatever it was. And the government said, yep, yep, your honor. It was excitement on their part. They didn't foresee any flights happening because of the pandemic and they were thrilled. They were excited. They knew they would be able to keep some employees on now. And as I think I state in sentencing memo, that excitement just morphed into despair. They were not able to recover. And I don't know if they still have not been able to recover, but it was quite a hit. And that was the company that he stiffed for $76,000 at the, it was the crux of this whole crime. It was the one they charged on it. It was the one we led with in this podcast. Yeah, that's the Miami well. to Lubbock, Lubbock to Miami return trip with booze and limos, right? Of course, the, the money never came. And in roughly an 18 month crime spree that spans several states, this defendant racked up a total of $3.5 million in intended and actual losses. He did it for the purposes of ostentation, pretension, mm -hmm. and Instagram moments, and to feed his ego. As we've discussed, the damage to the victims is just overwhelming. And when you look at the number, it's heartbreaking. All right, Seth, do you want to take us to the judgment? Sure. So here we go. The court has heard uh, from both, you know, the plaintiff and defense counsel on their final attempt to get, I guess, you know, their requested sentencing. So the court says, after you were caught, I'm serious talking to Brian, uh, you did make statements to the press, despite the advice of your counsel, which just shows me you just, you're, you're just dogged determination to revel in what you did. That's your choice. Choices have consequences. If that's how you want to live, that's fine. Those people don't go away on this side of the room. They'll be there for you if you want to keep making those choices. This isn't the first time you've been in trouble. You've had multiple interactions with law enforcement since you were a teenager. And you have been given chance after chance after chance. I wish that prior and more lenient sentences had deterred you from criminal conduct. They have not. Undeterred, you continued. So here we are today. All this up to an incredibly serious crime. So by the way, this is not looking good for Mr. Bryant. <laughs> no, it not also, at all. Uh, the judge continues. It also demonstrates an incredible danger to society. You have no respect for the law. Given your repeat fraudulent conduct, I have to impose a just punishment, which weighs very heavily here. And I have to afford adequate deterrence of criminal conduct. That weighs heavily here. And as I have said, protection weighs heavily as well. So what did he get? Jones, we taking bets here? Well, he pled guilty to one count of wire fraud. Okay. Right. So then his sentence is handed down and it's? 168 months or 14 years. Yeah, that's that's rough in federal prison. Yeah, and that, by the way, that runs concurrently. So he's they've gotten him on several other crimes, right? But the judge to hear, I think because there were so many other cases, they just said, you know, I, I think it, it, the, the sum total would have put him in hundreds of years. So they just made him concurrent here. And it's a total of 14 years. And they also made a couple of addition recommendations, as you can imagine. You know, these are some standard ones, but they are. Uh, and I don't want to gloss over that. There's in the actual imprisonment wording, it basically says 168 months, which is 14 years. But it says you, this could be served consecutively to other shit that has still not been decided other criminal shit this guy's done that still has not been decided. So 14 years would be the, I would say the minimum. 
That's minimum. Yeah, he's there's several other it, cases that are pending, right? State. He's got state issues. He's got other cases that's going on. We're just giving you the fun, in my opinion, the more fun electronic portion of what he's done. Because the other ones were like, I think, like uh, domestic violence and so forth. Yeah. So he has, upon release after 14 years, he'll have supervised release for three years. He'll have to participate in an outpatient mental health and treatment service that he has to pay for. Uh, and then I'll also have to participate in a um, outpatient program for drug alcohol dependency that again, he'll also have to pay for. And this one makes sense because he's claimed by uh, the defendant claimed himself that he was an alcoholic. Yeah. And then and they sorry, had, can... well, they have the, at this point, the table. And we talked about this table a little bit earlier where it's basically a victim on the left-hand side and what the restitution of what Bryant has to pay them back on the right-hand side. And then it, then is added up at the bottom for 1.185 million is the restitution he's on the hook for. And I'm not going to read you all the different victims. I'm just going to give you a flavor of some of these victims and what he has to pay them back. The more interesting ones. So the, the, one of the top ones on the list is J six energy. And I'm not exactly sure why he owes them money, but he owes them $221,000, which is a serious chunk of change. He's got um, like a well service. He owns $65,000 to, and I would assume that's an oil well service, not a like water. Yeah, it's probably like well. him. That's probably like him, you know, all the different bullshit he was buying to make it look like he actually had an oil well operating. Uh, here's an aviation company, Haskin Aviation for $80,000. Uh, he owns somebody personally $200. Uh, let's see, heavy <laughs> equipment sales and rental. So I would assume that's probably faking these, this oil thing that we talked about. That was almost $7,000. The one to KVC Homes. That so is... that one's interesting, right? Because that's only for 266000 But I remember in the court filings, it was noted that he's paid about a million dollars to have a home built essentially on full credit. So I was expecting to see another line item here, maybe for the bank that would have loaned him the difference or um, because apparently if it was a million dollar home and he got that far, why is the cost owed uh, 266,000? So I'd like to get the full story on that. Yeah, it might be in the second part of this chart too. We'll take a look in a second. Um, a couple more I want to note on the first half of the chart. One is it looks like, so remember we talked about him stealing cars. It looks like big man auto group has him on the hook for about $38,000, which sounds about that's eh, about a truck cost, maybe, if I had to guess. Uh, if I go to the bottom half of this chart, we got, oh, a couple aviation companies. There was one on the previous chart that was like 60000 This one is another 56000 Here's another jet for 35000 There is First Shot Outfitters, which I'm assuming is maybe one of those hunting companies. That's $70,000. A uh, few more. Okay, here's a vacation homes. That's five thousand. Uh, executive charter another thirty thousand. Hangar flight ops. That's seventy six. That's the one we talked about throughout the case. Uh, that's about it. Um, so the restitution comes to one point one eight five million. Some change over that. And you go, holy shit! This guy's gonna be in prison for four, at least fourteen years. He's on the hook for one point one million dollars let's just say 1.2 million dollars he's trying to argue to make his 
He's trying to make his case that he should be able to sell his story so he could pay people back, which I think is kind of a stretch. And you think this guy has just lived the craziest of life. He needs to retire. He needs to go into prison now and just take a break, take a vacation from all his schemes, all his media talking, all his court shit, and just take a break. But he doesn't. After he's sentenced, he immediately talks to the media again. Of course. And he said, things went pretty rough today. He told the Daily Beast via a jailhouse text message hours after his sentencing. So that means this motherfucker went and found a phone somewhere in the prison and made a text message after his sentencing, after he just got bitched out for doing this stuff. And he says, I'm extremely upset about how things went down today. Upset can't even touch how I feel, he wrote. And that's it. That's all we heard from him. And, and then in the court process, he appealed on March 14th of 2023. So I told you, listen all the way to the end in this episode because it was important. And it was because he still talked to the fucking media again after he just learned he was going to serve 14 years for talking to the media, basically. Ugh. All right. So at the end of this long episode, what did we learn? You want to take the well, first couple thoughts? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we've already alluded to was like, what? Like, how is this even possible in 2021? I mean, could you imagine just walking into like, you know, a Ferrari dealership like, hi, I want that one. Send me a bill. And they're like, all right. <laughs> I just, you know, exactly. I mean, I mean, it's just amazing. Or, I mean, I mean, I was actually, you know, to be fair, it's more um, complicated than that, but not much more, right? I mean, a lot of people, you know, what, have what's called a DBA, doing business ads, right? So Keith Jones could very, very quickly for about $100 online could set up a Keith Jones Incorporated business, buy himself some QuickBooks and have invoices sent out or received under Keith Jones Inc., right? Get a uh, you know tax ID number, really easy. And that's, by the way, how a lot of people work the tax system to start using your business to funnel through and to try to take depreciation and deductions and expenses on cars and homes and stuff like that and vacations. So it is possible, but you know it is scary that I guess there's almost like a gentleman's agreement amongst businesses that you know if you're a doing going entity that you have money and you have credit and that you will pay your your debts so he clearly um uh exploited that to an incredible amount and it is wondering like there's so many ways to do some basic due diligence that somebody's not bullshit or not a real thing or legit and it's just fascinating that he was able to get as far as he did with you know in 2021 uh, the other thing I think is that most of the crime here, as we just noted, boiled down to personal trust. It's like a social contract and victims trusted payments would come. We know that because he texted them paying you now, buddy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My secretary sent it. Right. So really, um, I guess just a, a real abuse of trust, which is, you know, shame on me, shame on them kind of thing. All right. So I have a couple points here before I close this out. So criminals. If you want your case to go well, never fucking talk to the media from jail. Now, from the other hand, from the prosecution standpoint, and as a goddamn podcaster, please keep calling the media and, and, and tell them all about your story because it's some of the best research about the case that I could pull is when you tell the media exactly how you did your crime. And we can have podcast episodes like this that are kind of fun. Of course. So... 
So depending what side of the coin you're on, either talk to the media or don't. All right. Another point. Brian, I, I thought kind of walked away with a stiff sentence. Now, you know, I kind of go back and forth. Is it a stiff sentence or not? For 14 years, for some of the crimes that we've seen, we've seen people get a lot less for more. So 14 years kind of felt stiff at the beginning. But when I look at it from the victim standpoint, there were a lot of victims that actually lost out money in their pockets. So other episodes we've talked about, we've had victims that didn't really lose anything. It was somebody used their identity and filed on their behalf and they had some legwork that they had to clear up their name. But in this case, Bryant left people holding the bag with of money or, you know, basically they would pay out whatever it was that they swindled on. They were actually out losses on this that we haven't seen on a lot of our other episodes. So I kind of go back and forth where I say, yeah, it's a stiff sentence, but oof, I think he, I think in this case he deserved it. Now I want to leave you and let you answer this Seth before I take us out. Do you think he was really remorseful or do you think he was remorseful? He got caught my opinion before you give your Seth is I think he was remorseful. He got caught because out of all the stuff I read, he only showed remorse in like three words out of a whole paragraph of boasting about all the cool shit he did to be remorseful about. What do you think? Well, I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think it could be both. I think the bigger issue is, and maybe he'll contact me if I say something here, but kind of like- Not for 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, if he's sending out texts, once a yeah, shit bag- from jail. <laughs> once a shit bag, always a shit bag, right? I think that he, I think people are complicated. I'm sure that at some level he realized, hey, I'm going to jail for 14 years, minimum. All right, so as a father and as a, you know, as a, uh, as a child, that's really, really gonna have a negative impact on his family. I think that he, I think he acknowledged that. I also think though, at the same time, that he's a shitbag and he's like, well, in any situation I'm in, I'm gonna try to do what I do best, which is fuck people out of money. So he's, you know, basically telling the Daily Beast, hey, I got a great story to tell. You'll sell a lot of newspapers or a click, you know, for more ads. I want some money out of it. And I need money because I got to pay a lot of shit back and I got to do more of my thing. So it's a symbiotic relationship. I'm not convinced between you and me, Jones, that had he been truly better able to sell his remorsefulness to the judge, that, sh that the judge he or she would have slashed his sentence in half. I think that he was going to get what he got, period, uh, regardless of his jailhouse you know, conversations with the Daily Beast. So I don't know if that it really mattered, but I think it's both. I'm sure he is remorseful to some extent, just as a father. I hope that he has some positive feelings for his family. And I'm sure he's upset he got caught. I'm sure that's kind of a given, right? No one's happy they got caught. Uh, although he did say he was happy he got caught because now he's on the step to becoming a better person. I think that's bullshit. Um, but maybe it is. I mean, it's not for us to judge. Maybe he legitimately is uh, on a better path. But at the same time, at least in his mind, but he feels like, hey, I got to pay back these bad guys. Sorry, these good guys that I, as a bad guy, ripped off. I don't really have an income generating possibility right now other than selling my story. Um, that makes him shitbaggy. It does. I think he's also a narcissist. I think clearly since he had indicated how much he's into Frank Abagnale and Anna Sorokin and he wants to kind of be a notorious fraudster i think it's complicated um but i think ultimately once a shit bag always a shit bag in this instance and that is the overwhelming uh, message i got
good points all right so if you like anything in this episode please give us a five-star review on apple and i say this because i look at half of our viewers are on apple podcast so if you can five-star review us there it would be appreciated that moves us up the search chart there the other side of the coin, if you're watching on videos, let's say like YouTube, if you could like us there, subscribe. Um, if any of these platforms, you can share our material with other people that haven't seen it, we'd appreciate it. Um, we pretty much have just focused not necessarily on, you know, pushing out ads for other people to see us. We're more of a word of mouth hobby type of po podcasting. Could just use your help introducing to people that might not know about us that might enjoy a little bit of humor in their computer crime true crime stories so with that if you want to see even more about us if you want to you know, check out our social media accounts or you want to go to our glossary that we put together or you want to um, go to our videos for instance if you're on our audio side go to ecrimebytes.com and if you're on your phone, it's going to look a little different than on your desktop. On your phone, it's going to have these three lines. We call it a hamburger in technical terms. If you click on that, it'll pop down this menu for you with all our social media accounts. And you can just go nuts there and talk to us everywhere if you want. If you're on a desktop, that whole thing that I just described to you, you don't have a button. It just shows up across the top. So all your choices will be across the top of your browser. So with that, I want to leave you a real, real fast, just preview of what's coming next week. And I am so, so excited about this one. This one, my excitement level is pretty close to the Jimmy Zong excitement level where I've been sitting on this one for months. It is about a YouTuber that was also Olympian that was also part of Nitro Circus, if you're familiar with that on TV, who crashed his private plane for the YouTube likes. Yeah, you heard me right. We have the video. We're going to go through the video. We're going to talk about the video. And it's an incredible, incredible story that I just recently researched and just recently happened too. It's not an old story by any means. This just happened. And it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. So... Hope to see you back next week when we talk about the YouTuber that crashes his plane just for the likes. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.